The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hello and welcome back to the show. I look forward to the release of a new episode every single week, and I really hope you are doing the same. This is going to be an incredible episode. I'm calling this one Synchronicities and Expansion with Jen Armstrong. Jen is a New York Times best selling author, but of course, like everybody, success doesn't happen overnight. And so she has had an incredible journey to becoming the New York Times bestselling author that she is today. In fact, she spent 10 years working for Entertainment Weekly, and that's where some of her juiciest stories come from in today's episode. <laughs> it's truly just a fun episode to listen to. And if you remember, one of my favorite Gabby Bernstein quotes is, measure your success by how much fun you're having. And that's my intention for you today. My intention is that you will listen to the show today and get into the flow of fun and have some fun listening to this episode, have some fun dreaming about your biggest dreams. And also, I hope you get encouraged to look back on your life path And notice when there were some magical synchronicities and magical moments, moments that you didn't plan, but looking back, they were so significant in your life journey. I just always want you to think about whenever you listen to any of these episodes, I want you to think about your journey and your path. In fact, I I was looking at a book today by Pam Grout. It's called E Squared. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's an awesome manifesting book. And I pulled out a quote today that really resonated. And I wanted to share it with you before we get into this episode. She says, the will of God is the ceaseless longing of the spirit in you to become all that you're capable of being. I just know that because you're listening to this show, you have a deep desire in your heart to expand. And sometimes the process can be messy and sometimes it can be exhausting. And sometimes we question our path and we wonder if we're even doing it right or if we're doing the right thing We wonder if, are we pushing too hard? And I just wanted to affirm to you that that deep 
longing in your heart to expand into your dreams that is placed on you for a reason. And we don't achieve our biggest dreams through force. Our greatest manifestations do not come through force. They come through freedom. They come through alignment. And so even though today's episode might not be a three-step method to manifest your biggest dreams, it is a show that is going to help you align with joy and bring you some new, fresh perspective. And it's just fun. In fact, this episode, we have a giveaway. You could win a signed copy of one of Jen Armstrong's books simply by leaving a review on today's episode on Apple Podcasts and just by heading over to Instagram and leaving a comment on any post for this episode. That's it. We're giving you until March 18th to leave a comment on this episode leave a review and go to Instagram, leave a comment, and then we will pick a winner. And your choices are you can get a signed copy of Seinfeldia, how a show about nothing changed everything. You could get a signed copy of when women invented television. This is another special book that Jen wrote. We talk about it in this episode. She interviewed Betty White two years ago to help with the research for this book. And Jen's story about Betty is extremely fun to listen to. And of course, our hearts are heavy with the loss of Betty White this year. And it's just such a timely conversation that I have with Jen. The other book that you might choose to win would be Pop Star Goddesses and How to Tap into Their Energies to Invoke Your Best Self. So Jen wrote this book about all of the modern pop star goddesses in our culture. It's a really fun book, and it also helps you to align with the goddess energy that all the different pop stars like Britney Spears, J-Lo, Christina Aguilera, Kelly Clarkson talks about all of their qualities and how they all have really just different ways of being goddesses and bringing on that energy and how we can truly tap into their energy as well. It's so fun. So I hope you can win a book. I think that would just be really just a fun thing to do for this episode. I've never really done a giveaway for, you know, a guest on this show. So this is the first time and I hope you enjoy it. And before I read Jen's bio and introduce her to you, I just wanted to acknowledge that I do appreciate any reviews for the show. I know I've said this before, but being a new podcast, anytime you can leave a review on Apple podcasts, it's actually helping other people to discover me as a feng shui teacher. And I know it's hard to see it this way, but in the big scheme of things, you're actually helping to bring more light to this planet. I feel like we are in such troubled times. There is a lot of things outside of our control. And one thing I truly believe so deep in my soul is that we can control our home environment. And when we can create a sanctuary in our home, it ripples out and has an effect on the world. When 
you step into your dreams and align with your dreams, it actually helps the world light up. And that's my truest intention is to help you align with your dreams and to create a sanctuary that feels safe, peaceful, and harmonious. So thank you for helping me spread this message. Leaving a review actually is doing that. And I just wanted to share um, two reviews from listeners that I truly appreciated. This one is from Kathleen and she says, true teacher, Christina is a true teacher and lays out feng shui in a non-overwhelming way. I have been blessed to bring her teachings into my classroom and my home. Thank you, Kathleen. I appreciate that feedback and I'm glad it's not overwhelming to you. And another review is from Nicole. She says that this podcast is quickly becoming my favorite. I am loving these episodes. They are specific and direct, and I always take away something fresh. Christina is so likable as well. Thank you, Nicole. Well, you are likable and all my listeners are my favorite. I'm not kidding you. You are the greatest, greatest group. I'm enjoying all of the feedback you've been giving me. And it's interesting because even though this podcast is fairly new and I do have some teaching episodes, I also am starting to lean into episodes where I'm bringing on guests that are telling stories and bringing just different insight. So yeah, wherever you are listening, whether you're in your car or you're doing some laundry right now, folding clothes, wherever it is you're listening, I just hope you enjoy this episode. I hope that you can have a chance to leave a review and possibly be a winner of a signed book today. And always feel free to DM me on Instagram or go to christinahollinger.com and email me. I would love to hear from you. Any feedback is valued from you. All right. Without further ado, let me introduce to you, Jen Armstrong. I'm going to quick read her bio and then we'll just cut to the interview. Jennifer Ketchin Armstrong has written seven books, including the New York Times bestseller, Seinfeldia, When When Women Invented Television, Mary Lou and Rhonda and Ted, and Sex and the City and Us. Formerly a staff writer at Entertainment Weekly, where she worked for a decade, her writing appears in many publications, including BBC Culture, the New York Times Book Review, Vice, New York Magazine, and Billboard. She created and co-hosts two podcasts, Pop Literacy, about pop culture-related books, and via the American Writers Museum, Dead Writer Drama, examining classic writers through a modern lens. She also curates and writes the weekly Peabody Finds recommendation newsletter for prestigious Peabody Awards in broadcasting. Everyone, I'm so excited to introduce to you, Jen Armstrong. Enjoy the show. All right. Hey, Jen, welcome to the show. It's so good to see you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, I'm doing really well. I'm so excited to talk to you. And before we actually started this recording, I told Jen that her and I have talked numerous times and we could easily talk for about an hour and a half, two hours without blinking an eye, but I, pro- we I probably promise- won't. 
won't, but we're going to have such a good conversation. And she was just telling me about her, her podcast. Can you tell me what, what your podcast is all about, Jen? Absolutely. Um, I have a podcast called Pop Literacy, which I co-host uh, with another pop culture writer named Kimberly Potts. And it's really straightforward, but it's really fun. We focus on pop culture books and we kind of define that broadly. So it might be somebody's memoir that makes a lot of pop culture references. It might be a novel. I, we've done several of these where there's kind of what I call fake pop culture in it, you know, where it's about like a fictional musician or something like that. Um, and it might be a more straightforward book, like the ones that we do, which, you know, might be a history of a TV show or, you know, we did, we had a guy on who wrote a history of rock concerts. That was really cool. Um, so you get to learn a lot and we get to learn a lot. And we usually do, um, some recommendations for pop culture related reading at the end. So it's very fun. And we just really do it because we like to, um, help other people who do what we do, get the word out about their books and their writing. I love that. This is why talking to Jen is just so fascinating because she, you are a pop culture queen, literally, and you have so many stories. In fact, we can't tell them all today, but I wrote down some stories that you have told me in the past that, I mean, you're just an awesome storyteller and you have such rich experience. So for listeners who are just meeting Jen, here are some of my favorite stories that she has told me, but because of time, we can't talk about all of them. Okay. Number one, I call this one the John Mayer red carpet moment when you worked for Entertainment Weekly. Remember that story you told me, Jen? I sure do. It was, it was definitely, it was one of the first big celebrity moments that I had when I was at Entertainment Weekly. So, and I was a big fan of his, I still am, but like at that moment, that was just when he was coming up. Um, and so I was pretty, I would say starstruck, but maybe, maybe a little, maybe a little like, you know, crushing too. <laughs> These are crushing. And so I just, I don't know. I love John Mayer. And that was when you were, were you living in California when you worked for Entertainment Weekly? Or was no, that I was in New York the whole time, um, but I would go to LA often, which was one of my favorite things about that job. I still love going to LA. There's just this totally different vibe there. Um, so it was very like, I was hanging out a lot in LA, you know, on Entertainment Weekly's dime. Um, but I was based in New York and that, that moment was actually at the, um, video music awards, red carpet in New York city. And it was one of the first big events that I covered. That was the other cool thing about it. I think at that time, now I would never want to do that, <laughs> but at that time that seemed cool, but it's all it is, is just being crunched in with a bunch of other, um, entertainment reporters and it's just awful. Um, but when you're young and it's new and, you know, I've been watching the VMAs on TV my entire life and suddenly I was there, like that part was cool. And like your uh, mention of this story, like, you know, John Mayer is the one person I really remember meeting on that carpet, even though I met a ton of people because he was very like, he's that guy who will learn even in that dumb crazy moment on a carpet like he learned my name and kept using it and was like very close to me and looking into my eyes which is why I was like crushing pretty hard um so if you want to know the power of John Mayer that there it is right there you know when you look at all of his famous girlfriends I think you know why. yeah that's why there's a reason that he he had that kind of pull because he's very charming there's a reason why he was able to date Jennifer Aniston. You know, it's like I mean, who dates Jennifer? Like that's 
that's mind blowing to me. Like she's just another level completely. Absolutely. But you had to learn early on how to talk to celebrities and really just keep your composure because it's hard not to fangirl. Like seriously. Yeah, yeah so- exactly. <laughs> so anyway, you kind of got to a little bit entertain me and tell me a little bit about your John Mayer story. So I appreciate that because I'm actually going to go see his Sob Rock concert in April of 2022. And I'm excited because I haven't been to one of his concerts for many, many years. And I have my own John Mayer story, but I'm just going to keep moving on because that's (laughs) not why we're here. (laughs) All right. So, and you know, for listeners who are like, okay, wait a minute, we are on Feng Shui with Christina Hollinger podcast. How does this even connect and relate? Well, there's so many ways that Jen and I can have this conversation and relate it to manifesting and synchronicities. And that's every time I talk to Jen, that's kind of what we kind of end up talking about is how looking back on her life as when, when she worked for a newspaper and then became a journalist or she's, she's been a journalist for many years and then has grown and evolved into a New York Times bestselling author. It is kind of cool because she can look back and think like, wow, like this was a magical moment. And we kind of go and we talk about these synchronicities. So another story that you have told me about, I call this one, the SJP synchronicity. You told me about a story when you were living in, which part of New York was it? The story was that I was like, happened to be in Midtown in New York city. Um, that's where I was like walking around at that moment. Um, and I was walking back downtown home, um, because the trains were not working. And there was some train problem. And so I, and it was like really, really, it was actually, I think pretty hot out, but it was like, you know, you could walk like, and the beauty of Manhattan, in my opinion, is especially still living in Manhattan, which no one does anymore. Everyone lives in Brooklyn. Um, But I live in Manhattan. And the cool thing about that is that like, no matter what happens, we've had blackouts, whatever. It's like, you can get home. You can literally walk. It might take you an hour or two, but you can get there. Um, And so I was just like, okay, I'm going to start walking and we'll figure something out. I'll get in a cab eventually, or the trains will work or whatever. Um, and as I was walking and kind of like stopped to check my phone again to see if like maybe the trains, I could tell if the trains were running on Google Maps, um, I looked up and there was a pop-up store for SJP shoes, Sarah Jessica Parker's shoe line. And I had just been shooting photos actually to use on my social media for to promote my book that was about to come out called Sex in the City and Us, which is about sex in the city. I had interviewed her for it before, but I was like, oh, well, that seems like, I mean, I'm out here. I can't really get home. So I'm just going to go into this store because I haven't really seen her shoes. And I walked in and she was there, Um, which actually turns out to not be that unusual. She is adorable. And like, she takes the train when it's working um, from her place in the West Village to her shoe stores and actually will sell shoes. Um, and I mean that literally like that. I'm not kidding at all. Like she sold me a pair of shoes, like a salesperson. Um, I'll tell you what, you will purchase them regardless of their price. If <laughs> once Sarah Jessica Parker, once she started talking to me, I was like, oh no, I'm buying $400 shoes. 
<laughs> because it's a great story though. You have to you get know, them. She picked them out for me. I mean, I went in and reminded her who I was. We had met before, but like celebrities, you it's nice to remind them. They meet a lot of people. And I was like, my book that I interviewed you for is about to come out. And she was like, you must need shoes for book tour. And I was like, yes, that's exactly it. So I had been looking at one pair of shoes. She was like, you know, those are great, but I actually think you should get these others over here. And she showed them to me. She actually went back and got my size and put them on my feet, whole thing. Um, it was really amazing and felt like, you know, <laughs> I was destined to have those shoes, I guess, because, but it was a great, it, what's cool is, you know, I'm telling the story now and it was a great, um, it's a nice story for, for book tour as well. I would often wear them. They're very, they look like, um, Dorothy's shoes from the Wizard of Oz, but like silvery instead of red. And so like, you don't wear these shoes and not get like, get constant compliments and like people always notice them. So when, especially on this book tour, like people are going to be into shoes and everywhere I went, if I wore those shoes, people would be like, what's going on with those shoes? And I would be like, glad you asked and tell the story. So, um, it's also just a, such a reflection of, uh, SJ's energy that um, she just like goes and sells shoes in her stores. She really believes in her product, which is nice. Yeah, she is New York City. You know, she's it's so weird because it's kind of cool when a character like. Like Carrie in Sex in the City, she's actually kind of a real life Carrie in some ways, like there's just so, some things about her that are just really in alignment, which is so interesting. But I totally forgot the piece about the train's not working that day, which is what makes this story such a synchronicity because it was like, you wouldn't, you didn't go out of your way necessarily to, to meet Sarah. You didn't right. even know she was going to be there. And I didn't even realize it was a pop-up store. Like, and yeah, it's not, not there anymore. It. There's one way downtown that's been there for a while now. And I think it's still there, but for a while she was just doing like pop-ups around the city. And yeah, I really was like, not, I, sh I was not going to be exactly at that place where I was like I was a, a little farther uptown where I took the photos and the only reason I was walking back down was because I couldn't get home any other way and I really did stop at that it was very like it felt really magical like I had stopped at that corner to look at my phone again looked up saw it and went in so um yeah so it was just it was just like a very special little moment when those moments happen it just it's so exciting and then you're just like okay I, I'm ready for my next miracle because you know <laughs> when that kind of stuff can happen you just want those things to happen every single day <laughs> absolutely absolutely so the other story that I that you told me about was I didn't I didn't really know like how to word this because I don't know if it's even accurate or appropriate but I called it the New York Times bestseller the overnight success and I don't know, like, obviously you worked decades on your writing career and you had a very, I use this word a lot to describe you, but you had a very rich background in journalism, of course, graduating from Northwestern and just getting so many great opportunities in your writing career. But the, the and, but you know, you've heard the saying, it takes 10 years to make an overnight yeah. success. Would you call the success with Seinfeldia, how a show about nothing changed everything? Was that like an unexpected moment? Because it really was your very first, was it your very first no. New York Times? No, it wasn't. Well, yeah, it was my first New York Times bestseller. It wasn't my first book. Oh yeah, it was not your first book, yeah. but it was your very first New York Times bestseller. And that that whole experience, would you say that was like a, 
uh, pivotal moment in not only in your career, but just in your life in general? Yes. Um, and the reason I said it exactly the way I just said it is that um, it's super, like, it's all I talk about in therapy. Like it's still to this day. Um, it was, and, and I don't want to, I don't ever want to be like a bummer about it. Cause obviously it's like a huge blessing and it's super cool, but I like to also tell people because especially with social media and things like that, the announcement on social media is, Hey, I'm a New York times bestseller. That's amazing. And of course it is. But I also like to share with people that like, in some ways that was a turning point in my life where a bunch of other stuff started to go wrong. And I don't, and it's not a coincidence. It's that it was so big that it sucked all of the energy. And it's like very hard in a business like this to ignore that that just happened to you. You feel like you have to strike when the iron is hot. And I don't think that's wrong, but it's very, very hard to have balance. And I don't know how people with real big, you know what I mean? Like big pop stars or something who suddenly find themselves with a hit album, their stuff is way bigger than this. And just having experienced this teeny tiny little bit of it, I don't know how they do it because it became this thing where I was like running around the country for the next year or two, really. Um, and I felt like I'm a person who has had a lot of success by saying yes to almost everything. And I kept up with that strategy because I felt like who knows how long this will last. What that meant was that all I was doing in my life was just going to all these different cities and just doing the same shtick, Seinfeldia, me, this, whatever. And I became almost like a robot. And it's like, I'd come home and I didn't know how to turn it off. I didn't know how to come down. I wasn't paying attention to my partner. I wasn't paying attention to my home. Um, I wasn't paying attention to any of my health. Um, and it's something that I feel like I have been cleaning up ever since, and maybe I'm starting to come out of now, but, and like I said, I don't like to be a bummer about it. No, everyone's like, oh, let me get my tiny violin for you and your New York Times bestseller. I just think it's important for people to know both sides of that, especially when we're on a podcast like this. Right. And you know, not every, I, maybe I'm generalizing, but I don't think every New York Times bestselling author has that experience. I just think that because Seinfeld is what it is in our country, in the world, the impact that it's made on pop culture truly probably plays a huge role into what you experienced once that book hit the charts like overnight, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And it's a special experience the way that my books are versus like you said, some other books. And there might, there's probably good and bad to both of those in that it, in some ways I was always grateful. At least I, I'm glad I don't write memoirs or something. Cause the only thing worse than this to me would be doing this, but constantly talking about myself. Do you know what I mean? Like you would get so sick of yourself and your <laughs> version of yourself. Um, <laughs> On the other hand, like I said, it's like, it's almost like I barely remembered how to function. I remember this when I would be back home and like go to a party or something, I would either be like on or off. Do you know what I mean? And it, it's almost felt like I should just come out like a Jack in the box and start talking about Seinfeld again. Um, like if someone spoke to me, I would just be like, well, funny story about Seinfeld. And they were like, I didn't ask you about Seinfeld. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's very strange, but you're right. People, the, the great thing about this book the reason it was a success. I mean, I think it's a good book. Like I did a good job, but the other half of that is that people loved to talk about Seinfeld 
and love to have me on their shows to talk about it. I still, I don't, I haven't done the math on this, but I feel like, well, let's just say this, no matter how many other books come out, there's, I still get re requests about Steinfeld several times a year. And I'll, I mean, I'm happy to talk about it. Um, but it's just something people love to talk about. And it was a funny thing with this, the timing of that in particular, it was 2016. So it was an election year and we were actually worried about getting kind of buried in that very contentious election. But I found often when people had me on their show or something, they would almost always say something like, we're so excited to talk about something else besides, you know, that we get to talk about Seinfeld, it's from the past, it's just joy. Um, and that show just like, talk about your kind of, I think I see Seinfeld as almost like a, um, like a physical metaphysical force of its own. Um, I have a quote in the book that is something to that extent. Seinfeld some, said something like, you know, at some point the show became its own thing that we had to serve. Um, and I felt the same way. I had the same experience, which was just, there's something about that show that is beyond what anyone even intended with it. It's just this huge thing that brings people such kind of joy and very little else. It's like not complicated the way a lot of shows are now, which I love, but um, you know, it's just this very sort of uncomplicated, purely comedic thing that brings people such joy. It was a moment in time. And I think that you were the perfect person to do the research, to write the book, because again, so fun fact, I guess I didn't reveal this yet, but I grew up outside of Chicago and so did Jen because I'm really, really good friends, childhood best friends with your sister. And that's essentially how we know each other. So you're like this Midwest girl at heart, but you've also lived on the West coast and you've spent the majority, is it the majority of your life now in New York yeah. city? I just, so I, it's been 21 years now. And I think it was even at the 20th. I can't quite remember. I did the math once. And basically we I'm now officially like have lived in New York city longer than I lived in, a, you know, the suburbs of Chicago, Homer Glen, et cetera, where we're from. Um, you know, I kind of, it's hard to count because of college, but I was basically thinking like around age 21 is when I moved from my parents' house after college to the West Coast, lived there for a few years, came back for a few years, and then moved East. And so now that we're at 21 years in New York City, which is mind boggling for me to say out loud, um, that's, it, it's official that I have lived here longer than any place else in my life. You're, yeah, you're not a visitor for sure. You're not just passing through town. Oh, and no. like you said, we, I'm actually really glad we were able to revisit your experience with Sex in the City and Us. And then talking a little bit about Seinfeldia, because those are both such, such major New York City, yeah. like, yeah, like staples, essentially. So here's where I did want to transition a little bit because the very first thing that we want that I had on my list for us to talk about was Betty White mm -hmm. because you so I interviewed you about this book um is this the the most recent book that you wrote when women yes. invented television yes okay so Jen wrote this book when women invented television it's incredible and we talked a lot about all the work that you put into the research and what you learned about it. It was just, it was really fascinating. But one thing we sort of breezed over when we were talking was the fact that of course you interviewed Betty White 
for this book. This was prior to her passing away. And since we did lose Betty, I just thought, what an incredible opportunity to talk to you, Jen, and just hear about your personal experience of talking with Betty. And I just think it would just be so nice just for so many of us who love Betty. We love the Golden Girls and she's like a grandmother to us. <laughs> Betty is has really become almost like a guiding force in my life. Um, she So I also wrote a book about the Mary Tyler Moore show and interviewed her then. And um, she was on that as well. And I highly, highly recommend to people go watch some Mary Tyler Moore show in general, it will bring such joy to your life, but also specifically go watch some Betty White because this is Betty, peak Betty White. I mean, she is incredible on that show and people, I feel like it gets lost in the grandmotherliness of her later years, but she was a spitfire on the show. She's incredible Um, because she's playing kind of a bitch. She's playing this very like, oh, it's great. Go watch it. Um, But she, so I, so she, this has kind of been a theme in my life. Um, and I didn't expect it necessarily. It's not like I grew up worshiping Betty White specifically, always loved her like everyone. But, um, when I did, when women invented television, it's about the early days of television between 1948 and 1955. And I picked like four women's uh, four, four main characters to kind of follow through that because women did a ton of stuff in early television that they have not been recognized for. And one of those main characters was Betty. And people kind of know this, but I really dove into her early television career and found out a lot more than I think that was commonly known. And I could tell even in her obituaries, this was still very much kind of given short shrift this time in her life when she was a pioneer. She was a feminist. I mean, I keep saying to people, like, people don't understand what a feminist badass she was. Um, she had been married twice, got divorced the second time because her husband did not want a working wife. And she said, thanks, it's been fun, but I really want to be on TV. And she chose her TV hosting job. She was a she was one of the first hosts of a daytime talk show ever. Like in like it was like one of the first talk shows ever it was on five and a half hours a day six days a week this woman worked so hard and she then a couple of years later was having both that job and she created produced and starred in her own sitcom at the same time so she would go from her daytime job across town to you know record her live sitcom called life with elizabeth um she was just working so hard she was very deliberate in her choices um, and she's really incredible. And she's, you know, the good news is that having talked to her, like she is who you think. And I think that to me was such a, that that was what made her such a, an idol to me is um, every, I've never heard anything bad about her, which is very unusual in Hollywood. Um, you know, everyone loves her. Everyone who meets her is obsessed with her. She's such a light, like I said. Um, and she, yeah, she just, she was, she was so, so much more sort of deliberate and clear about her intentions. I think the entire time throughout her record, literal record, record breaking career. Um, you know, she's in the Guinness book of world records for the longest television career. And I don't see how anyone's going to beat that because it wasn't just that she was on 
as early as the 40s. It's that she was still on TV up until a few years ago. And that doesn't happen just just because you're fun and a nice person. Um, that happens because you're also, that's great that you could do it doing that, but she was very deliberate. And she kind of played that down, right? She kind of was just like, I'm just this nice grandma. But that does not just happen. You don't just have multiple iconic roles um, and including being this pioneer without having such deliberate focus and having read her very early interviews for this book um, that she was doing at the time. That's where I really started to see that because you know, she knew exactly how to play everything. She was often asked at the time, of course, like, why was, she, why was she not married? She was very good at kind of playing that off. Oh, I couldn't give a man the attention he deserves right now because I'm so busy, but someday soon. And then she'd privately be like, I'm never getting married. She did eventually get married. She married this great man who was the love of her life in the 60s. But at that time, she believed and was probably right that she had to choose um, because men were not into women having careers, it was very rare to find a man like that. So she just was like very clear and knew exactly what she was doing the whole time. And that's something that I like to point out about her that people don't realize. Wow. She knew who she was. I love that. So I, I am talking to the pop culture queen here. So can you, what was her last role? I'm not exactly sure, to be honest. Was hot, I, wasn't she on Hot in Cleveland? Like, wasn't that one of her That was one of the last. I don't know what officially, maybe. You know, she was supposed to shoot a, a Christmas movie. And I don't, I'm not sure she actually ended up, I think she didn't end up doing it because of COVID. Like, it was announced right before COVID, which is extraordinary, by the way. Like, she was like 98 and they were announcing, like, she's going to be in this movie. And she did not end up, I think, doing it. I'm not totally sure about that. But um, one of the last was Hot in Cleveland. And she, this is the thing is like then and when she accepted the Lifetime Emmy Award that she won, and I can't get the exact date right now out of, off the top of my head, but like a few years ago, it's like not that long ago. Um, what was so incredible is like she, she still had it, you know, um, and, you know, it doesn't happen for all of us. And some of it is just genetics and whatever, uh, luck, et cetera, et cetera. But something that really struck me in learning so much about her early career is how she was on live television five and a half hours a day, six days a week for years, you know? And to me, that explained so much. Once I knew that, it's like, of course this woman, you know, of course at 95 years old, you can still put this woman in front of a camera and she's like, her timing is like impeccable um, because she had this incredible practice. They had no script. Five and a half hours a day, six days a week. They just had, they just said, go fill that, go, you and your co-host. And they did it. And I think everything else she did in her career probably felt easy after that. And another thing, like sort of spiritually that really struck me about this is another thing she said was that she figured figured out very quickly because of that, that there, her only choice was to be totally herself when she was in front of a camera, because how can you fake it? and for that long. And also she felt like the camera knows when you're faking it. And obviously that's different from acting, but like there's something genuine like at the core of her. And I think that that's why we all loved her so much. We were responding to that. And so whatever phase of life she was in, she was her. And that was the thing that we were all getting. And you know, you don't get that from from everyone in Hollywood at all. 
That's so interesting because, you know, now like there's this big term about personal branding and like be you and that's what it's about. And like, it's just like Betty already knew years and years ago. And what I love what you said about her is that, um, she, when you interviewed her stuff, like twice, actually, she was who you exactly who you would hope she would be. And like, it's like, there was somewhat this like who you thought she was based on who she was in front of the camera is truly who you got. And I have to just say, I saw a post after Bob Saget passed away where someone just said like, oh my God, we cannot afford to lose our grandmother and our father in the same year. And it was just like this devastating pop culture thing that happened to all of us. And we had to process it. And people would say the same thing about Bob Saget as well. Like it was kind of amazing to see everybody coming out and not, I don't know how this relates to Bob Saget, but in a sense it does. Cause it's like, people were just like, he truly was that genuine person. Like, yes, he had like, you know, a potty mouth and he had yeah. this, like, this crass sense of humor that you wouldn't necessarily see on the set of full house. But at the same time, like his heart was exactly who you thought it would be. And I'm just kind of noticing there is like this, thread this theme of us talking about like now that I bring up Bob Saget we talk about Betty White we talked about Sarah Jessica Parker and how some in some ways sometimes when you can align your your truth and who you are with a character then that's kind of where the magic happens it's it's absolutely true I have to say we were talking about this like amongst my podcast friend my podcast partner and I we were talking about Bob Saget after he died and we've had a similar you know because we also just like a little bit we have some private conversations with you know celebrities quote or people in Hollywood even which is more important by the way the, the crew members and stuff like that those, those they're the ones who will tell you the truth and I had, I've had this experience about Bob Sagan and I definitely, because I was actually talking to people about Sex and the City and Sarah Jessica, like I had that experience with her, like where I wouldn't even ask someone to tell me what they felt about her. They would just sort of spontaneously be like in an interview, they'd be like, and just so you know, Sarah Jessica Parker is an angel from heaven. You know, like they just really wanted to tell you like how great she was. Um, and Bob Saget, I have had very similar experience of in terms of the way people talk about him, like good friends with John Mayer, incidentally. Um, know, right. It all comes full circle. No, I do, but I think, I think there's something to all of those things, which is just like people, you know, I think there are good people in Hollywood, just like any good and bad, just like any other place. And there is something we've been keeping this list just internally, you know, my pop, my pop literacy, uh, co-host and I have this idea of the list of like the people who everyone loves. So it's like Saget, Betty White, Dolly Parton, Dave Grohl, Tom Hanks. I think that's the, like, we, we're, we're always adding, we're like, oh, that one goes on the list too. But there's this small group of people that were, that are so genuine or were so genuine um, that everyone loves them and that there's a reason why the world loves them too. It's this, there's something really special where just like Everybody thinks they have, they're the special person who loves Dave Grohl. Like I'm the biggest fan, but it turns out everyone loves Dave Grohl, you know? Um, and it's very similar for all of these people. And Saget was definitely an example of like, you didn't realize how much people loved him until we lost him. It's so true. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I, there were two things, two more things I want to touch upon before we go today. 
And one of them, I just want the listeners to know is it's a really big announcement. I don't think it's gonna be a quick announcement because I have lots of questions about it, but Jen has a new project coming up that she's really excited about. I'm super excited about it as well. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But first of all, just to bring it back to the feng shui, which I think it's, it's fine. We've kind of already covered just so much goodness, but I wanted to ask you about your experience of getting a second home outside of the city since you've been in Manhattan for, like you said, 21 years. Um, I wanted to ask you how that has affected you and impacted you. And just, if you could just tell us a little bit about that, because I know I lived in the South Loop of Chicago for seven years. It was a short amount of time in, in, in the big scheme of things, but I do recall moving out to the suburbs and already feeling this huge shift and I just think our listeners are really, they're coming, they're coming from all sorts of different locations. And some people are living, listening from a rural area. Some people are listening from a busy suburb or a city and wherever you're coming from, I just think that there is something to be said about, first of all, when you make your home a sanctuary, no matter where you live, that is so important. And I think, especially in the city, but um, sometimes if we have a feeling of dis-ease, do you think that going on a vacation in a rural area or getting a second home in a rural area is going to make an impact? Okay. Loaded question. Go. Yeah. I mean, it was a really, it's been a really interesting experience because it's not something that I, that five years ago, if you had asked me or us, I would say us as a couple, I have a partner named Jesse. Um, and, you know, if you'd asked us five years ago, like if this would happen, it's just, it's a crazy like chain of events, which was. First, we took up indoor climbing years, a couple of years ago, several years ago. Now I actually planned, I was, we were doing like, you know, a couple like date days. We had this idea that we we're going to do like dates sometimes because we've been together 12 years now. So that's what you do. Um, and I planned a date to an indoor climbing gym just on a whim. Like I, I just thought like, I like to do weird. I like to try new things. And if I never did it again, fine. Um, and it really stuck specifically with Jesse. He turns out to have this incredible knack at it. I'm awful. I like got up one rung and was like, I hate this. I'm scared. I have gotten a lot better. And I've really enjoyed the opposite kind of experience of like, I stuck with it because he loved it. And it was such a good thing to do as a couple. Cause you're literally like, it's like a trust exercise, literally all the time. One of you is on a rope. The other is keeping this, the one safe on the rope by belaying. So like, I was like, this is great. This is going to be good. And I'm just going to learn it. And I'm going to learn from absolute zero. And so for me, I've been able to see a lot of progress, even though I'm still not like great at it, but because I was so bad, <laughs> I was able to make tons of progress and face a lot of fears and I love it. And you're so in your body. Um, so we start, we really like joined this climbing gym. We still love it. We still go all the time. Um, but then the, the pandemic happened and I had always said we had tried outdoor climbing once and I was like, fine, we tried that once, but it's not something that I'm going to do. Well, pandemic happened and gyms closed and we were going crazy. We literally at some point, like at least took funny pictures of us, like climbing the walls in our, we, we set up like a climbing apparatus. You couldn't really do it in the house, but we took funny pictures. Um, and we decided like once at least the parks had opened back up, even though the gym still hadn't, we're like, oh, let's let's just try it. So you have to go upstate for this. You have to go about an hour and a half out of the city to the, um, the gunks or the, the mountains up there. And, um, a couple times went on climbing weekend trips 
I was equally terrible at outdoor climbing, but willing to learn. And you're outside, so it's great no matter what. And um, we would always stay in this town called New Paltz, which is just outside of where there's a bunch of sort of, you know, parks where you can climb. And, you know, on our fourth, third or fourth trip, it went well, but it rained one day and we were staying in a hotel. It was pretty expensive because like still a little bit pandemic-y and like everything was jacked up price-wise. And Jesse just looked at me and was like, what if we just got a place here? Because if one day it rains when we're here for the weekend, we, we've spent all this money and our weekend's ruined. You know, we can't go out. And so it was one of those weird things where just, let's just look at places. Let's know it, like, let's just go on Zillow. And then next thing you knew, we found, we actually decided to get a townhouse in town um, for a variety of reasons. We didn't get like the place way out in the woods like some of our friends have done out up there. Um, but we decided to not have, want to keep up like several acres of land or that kind of thing. We just want to be able to climb when we go. So we got this place and like, as, you'll appreciate this. Having grown up in suburbs, it's so funny, but there's something like, I feel it, right? When I'm back in a place that's a little closer to where, I love the city, but being in a little bit more of a suburban setting, it's kind of splits the difference. We're in like a little cute downtown. So I love that we can walk to the downtown, but we have a car and I can go to Target and drive to the grocery store and all. And there's something about that. It sounds so stupid, but I have like a spiritual experience experience at malls even because like it reminds me of home and I feel safe and between just like the nature part where there's still there's tons of nature there we're right near a statewide like bike path like all this we get to do tons of nature stuff and I have this like feeling this deep feeling of like home um, you know, and we're in this like condo townhouse complex that was built in 1989 makes me feel like, <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, it's not an architectural wonder or anything, but, um, we've also really worked hard on the inside now because we own it. And so we're able to make, we, you know, got a ton of work done right away. We furnished it from scratch and I really, it, there's something that is very like, I don't know, it, it, it feels really cozy and good to me when we go up there. And I love the change and I love the feeling of kind of hominess for me that reminds me a little bit more of how I grew up than being in the city. Back in the Midwest. Um, I don't know, you probably didn't catch this, but when you started to talk about the town and talk about your your second home you literally took a deep breath and a huge exhale <laughs> like you don't even have to say anything like I could just tell like you just feel like that's your exhale so would you say that your life has literally shifted and changed in some ways ever since you you've had that it's not that it's an escape but you have I believe, of course, as a feng shui practitioner, that if you own other properties, that is an extension of you. It's an ex extension of your body, your energy, your force field, your aura, all the things. So I think even like when I worked with Alison Victoria on Windy City Rehab, I was just sharing with her, she owned so many properties and I only got to do a feng shui space clearing on one of her properties. 
But I just was really emphasizing to her that even though you don't live here, this is an extension of your energy as long as you own this home. So like we were able to set intentions for her life and clear the space, even though she wasn't living in the, in the area and, you know, she was just getting a bunch of work done. It was like an extension of her. And I, I think that that's true for any of us. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel that extension? And do you feel this sort of sense of true relief, even when you're in the city, just knowing that you have that? Yeah, it is really nice to have. And it's nice that we can just go whenever, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, um, my partner's up there this weekend. I mean, partly because there was a big snowstorm and we wanted to check to make sure because the power got knocked out. We want to make sure like nothing's freezing or anything. Um, but there's such a nice feeling of that. We even did, we're practicing Buddhists and our we practice Zen. So our Zendo, our um, Zen temple um, has a twice yearly retreats and they've been doing them online the past few years for obvious reasons, instead of renting a retreat center like normal. And so we did the winter retreat, which is between um, Christmas and New Year's. It was online. So we would just like go online and that's where this, you know, the meditation and the talks and everything were every day, but we did it there. And we did it upstate and just having like a different place to be. And also that feeling of just, you know, it is a little bit more naturey there. It feels quiet and different and not this, like you have to lug all your groceries home several blocks. Like New York life can be like physically challenging. And this is just a little bit of a relief even in that way. And I, I mean, I think it's fine for me to share my partner's story. My partner has had a gigantic shift in life. Um, like climbing has become kind of his driving force. He's really good. He's getting better. Um, he thinking about like, you can become a guide. So that's where you help other people climb outdoors. Um, he's learned all this stuff. We both learned a tremendous amount. Like I can now set up anchors and things. So like I could take you out to a little cliff and like tie up a, you know, an anchor so that we could belay you up it. If you, you know, like I can do that stuff. And that's none of this is stuff that I was ever like, we're talking about going camping, which we never used to talk about. Um, we're still on the fence about that, but he's now going to take several months off of work. He can do this. He's in tech. Um, they can take a sabbatical. It's not paid, but it's, you know, you can have your job back. It's pretty nice to be in tech. And so he's going to take several months off just to climb. And so we're going to probably be up there a bunch while he does that, and sometimes I'll climb with him, I'm not as good as him, so sometimes he'll go with friends who are at his level, um, so it's been this just, I mean, and for me, to some extent, too, just, like, I never thought I would be a person who climbs mountains, and now I've had numerous, I even did one, which it's called multi-pitch, where you go up, like, you know, one rope's length, get to, like, a little shelf, and then you go up again, it's, like, real mountain climbing, and I did that for the first time with a guide in the fall and it was unreal. I can't believe I did it. I can't like, it was so, I was flying for like days afterwards on, on the high of that. You're up, like you get up there, you're like literally with the birds. It's, it's really incredible. Sounds incredible. Also a little bit scary in my oh, it's opinion. Super scary. Do not get me wrong. I am. And that's the big thing for me that this the biggest thing for me in climbing is facing fear 
and I'm still working on it, but it's definitely, you know, whatever level you're at, you can work with your level of fear. It could be that you're two feet off the ground and that's the level you're at right now. And that's the level of fear you're dealing with. Um, Jesse deals with fear too. It's just at a much higher level than, you know, for him, it's more like that he's up on the sheer face of a cliff and has to figure out what to do next. I'm more like, can I do this next move or whatever? <laughs> um, but if you also learn the safety stuff correctly, you know, if you're on a rope and it's solid, you're on a rope, you're, you might fall, you might scrape yourself. I've done that, but like, you're still on a rope. And that's, that's the idea is that you're sa as safe as you can be while still, you know, taking some risks and doing, doing something really incredible. I never, I was never even like an outdoors person. So this is just, this has been a crazy shift and it's huge. It's a huge pandemic story more than, you know, I don't know if any of this would have happened if it weren't for being forced to leave the gym and go outside. Um, so that part is pretty crazy. And I mean, we're definitely not the only people in Manhattan buying upstate property during the pandemic, it was a huge trend, like prices skyrocketed. It's another reason we just went with the, um, the townhouse. Cause that was not as in demand as like the cute little cabins in the woods that everyone wanted. You know, I can only imagine, but what a metaphor for life, you know, like that you're doing this rock climbing, like it does, it, it reflects this out, this, this physical form that we're in. And you like, that is going to, and probably has really built up your spirit and your emotional resilience and all the things really. So I just kind of love how that all connects. So cool. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, and I was just talking about this the other day. It's one of those things that you do, like if you're into it at all, like you, you get really in your body and not, and your mind and nothing else. And that to me is, is so valuable. It's different from when I go to the gym and I'm on the treadmill and I'm like, how much longer do I have? Um, you know, when we go to the gym and climb, it's just about, can I conquer this new route? Can I get better? What you you have to be in the moment you had like that is the most unsafe thing to do is not be in the moment. And so you have to be in the moment, which means you're just in your body and in that moment. And that's it. And that part is really cool. And that's why it feels kind of spiritual. Like it really, there is a spiritual element to it. If, if you're doing it right. All right. You might've convinced me that might be my next thing I start to do, but I do love it. And I was actually really surprised. I asked people on Instagram just yesterday, I asked if people meditate and I was surprised that the majority of people, more than half of the people said, no, they don't meditate at all. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to push people to meditate. It's just that for me, that's, what's worked for me as far as like, once I started meditating each day, then my manifestations just skyrocketed and I just get these downloads and I'm way more intuitive and all those things. So yes, I'm an advocate for meditation because it's worked for me. But what you're describing is I, I also say, just taking a walk in nature and feeling your feet on the ground or taking a salt bath is also going to clear your energy. So I definitely feel that there are multiple ways and meditation can look different for everybody. That's totally true. And we do both, you know, in this case, like we are both, we are into both very much. And I do think our um, meditation practice helped us a lot with climbing. Um, and, you know, I, like you said, I'm a big fan of meditation too. And I think it can, it changed my life so much. It can change anyone's life. And the biggest thing for me is exactly what you just said that like having a, having several moments of like, you have to have that time when it's just quiet so that you can hear what your 
brain or whatever you want to say, like what that the whatever the universe is trying to tell you, like that's when you can hear those things and you can lie down. I do it, do that sometimes too. Like I do a thing where I just lie down for half an hour and try to watch my thoughts there and journal afterwards. Like you can do it a bunch of ways. It doesn't have to, doesn't all look one way, but yeah, there's, there's many ways to be in the moment and certainly being on a rock face is one of them. I kind of love it, Jen. You were talking and I just heard like the New York City sirens in the background. It, I'm like, it's always, you always get, I meant to tell you that you're always going to get the New York City soundtrack here because, um, I mean, we're on a feng shui podcast so we can talk about this kind of thing. Our, <laughs> we have a, I, I feel really blessed. This is again, the, the tech partner pretty much um, makes all of this happen. And another way, another thing that we have is, is we have a pretty nice apartment and um, we're right on the East River with a pretty nice view. And that also, the, the price of that is we are right above the FDR expressway. Um, so we are, we like, I can give you traffic reports on the entire uh, East side of the city. And there's always something. We see everything here. Like we have witnessed so many accidents, so many cleanups of accidents, so many traffic jams. So, and if there's sirens, it's like, you're just stuck with them. So whenever I'm on a podcast, you get that special New York soundtrack. <laughs> I love that. I actually do. I love that. I love it too. Like I, you know, I do our, our podcast from, from my home and actually hilariously, my podcast partner lives on the other side of the Island, but in a similar situation, she too kind of has a lot of the traffic and sirens and stuff. And we've just given in and said, like, that's the sound of pop literacy is that you're just going to be like, we're here with two New York writers. That's what you know right now. So yeah, I love it. Well, okay, John, I want to hear a little bit about your next project. I would love to hear what's, what are you uh, brewing right now? Yeah, I just, um, I just signed a deal to write a book about mean girls. Um, which is very exciting. And, um, this one took a while. So, and it was, it was like a little spiritual journey in its own. Um, they always are like books are big, you know, it's like takes up a big chunk of your life. So, you know, you write it for at least a year, you promote it for another year more, as we heard about Seinfeldia, if it does well, you know, so it can, it takes up a lot of space in your life and it, it's hard to come up with new projects that, you and your agent and a publisher are all on board with and into. So this one took a while and um, I really like danced around it a lot. Like I've actually been working on the proposal for something like two years, but could kept going back and forth and like, how is this going to work and all of this stuff. And finally kind of found my ways in and was excited about it. Um, yeah. And it's a little bit different because it's a movie instead of a TV show, but I think it's this huge cultural phenomenon. Um, and I'm really excited to like live in 2004 <laughs> for a while. <laughs> I made a soundtrack right away. I made a playlist. That was like my first, uh, my first, uh, action. Cause that's just fun. And, you know, it allows me to not just talk about the movie, which is great, but, you know, Tina Fey's career, who I, I followed her when I was, you know, I would, wrote about her a lot when I was at Entertainment Weekly back in the 2000s when she was doing 30 Rock and Mean Girls and all of that stuff. Um, so I get to talk about her and women, you know, sort of like women and comedy and young women. I like how that movie took young women's pro problems kind of seriously while being a very funny movie. Um, it was one of the first big meme generators of internet culture, period. 
Um, it's kind of like that one in Harry Potter and SpongeBob were some of the first. It was like positioned perfectly to be memed and memed and memed. And it's the reason we still are excited about it. And new generations, I I keep hearing about, you know, young girls keep watching it. Like new new generations are are picking it up. It's huge on TikTok. Um, I, it gives me a chance to talk about kind of the tabloid culture of the 2000s and how awful it was to young women like Lindsay Lohan, but also Britney Spears and Paris Hilton and that kind of thing. Um, so it's a lot of things that like feminism of the 2000s. So there's a lot of things to me that kind of converged in this moment that I can kind of tease out and talk about in the book. I don't know why, but Jen, like I totally forgot that Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, and Britney Spears, were they like, they were like friends, right? They were like, like frenemies we're... in in the tabloids. They were like frenemies. The the famous moment, I almost just pitched a book on this instead. Um, the famous moment with them was that at some point they were all in a car together going out partying, and there was like a picture of paparazzi picture of it, famous, and the um I think it was the New York Post. It was one of those, like one of one of the big sort of tabloidy uh, newspapers had this headline, Bimbo Summit. Um, and that kind of like encompasses exactly the way these girls were treated. Um, and it really, we ruined like multiple young women with this. You know, it was, it's shocking when you go, like I was doing the research just to write the proposal and I'm kind of dreading having to get even more into it to write the book, but reminding myself of how awful we were to young women during the 2000s. I mean, you were growing up then. And this to me is what's so, it's like, that's why it's in, it's important to kind of look back on this and like what that does to us, right? To, to sort of grow up in an era when they thought it was fine to have, you know, upskirt crotch shots of these girls were published. Um, they were caught, they were just so judged. They were hounded. You know, you're in your early twenties. Like if people were taken, well, my early twenties were boring, but certain parts of my life, if people were taking a lot of photos and making a lot of judgments about me in public, it wouldn't be good. You know, we've all had messy moments and it just, oh, it, it was so awful. And Lindsay deserves as much of a renaissance as Paris Hilton has had recently. Um, and as Brittany has had to some extent, uh, you know, it just, it shows you like Brittany in particular just shows you how the, the sort of long tail of, of the effect of all of this. And Lindsay was so good, you know, and I only say was I her in parent trap. <laughs> I mean, she was great. I just rewatched it for, for the proposal that and freaky Friday. Yes. And like, she's special, you know, like she's doing it. Like, it's just a silly kids movie, but like she's really, really good in those and in Mean Girls. And, you know, I mean, everyone is great in Mean Girls is the thing. It's one of those special things where they just, they got so lucky with all of those actresses. And um, I just, there's so much, and, and it became a, you know, pretty recent success on Broadway. And now they're going to make a movie of the musical that was based on. Oh my on gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So it still has this like, and, and it was great on Broadway. Like it wasn't because Tina did it and her husband did the music. Like it isn't just some dumb 
you know, cash grab, which some of those, you know, how some of those Broadway shows are that are based on popular movies, but it's really good because she was involved and because her husband wrote the songs and like, it's genuinely funny and it's like updated, but just enough, not like in an annoying way. Um, and it just shows like, it just keeps going. And that to me, I'm always really interested in similar to Seinfeld in a way. I've actually found a number of, a surprising number of parallels between this and Seinfeld. And the biggest one is just, I love looking at these things that last and like why, especially things we quote a lot. My, I said something in the proposal, like I think that Mean Girls is the Seinfeld for um, millennial women and gay men right? That you can quote it at each other, like the little snippets and everybody knows when you just say like, you go Glen Coco. Um, I found people who, multi many people have you go Glen Coco tattoos, That's which amazing. is, I mean, wow. It's <laughs> really just, that's fandom. So I, this is a little teaser. I'm going to have to put also in, like, I'm going to put so much in the show notes, like linking in your books and your podcasts and all the cool things that we talked about today. And I also have to link in the lasting looks podcast episode yeah. where your sister, Julie interviewed the costume designer of mean girls, because that'll just be a great little, you know, kind of get us thinking about that era. Cause that was a really good interview too. And um, yeah, I'm excited just to like, I'm excited to talk to you in a few months after your partner is done with his sabbatical and, and see how that has transformed his life and impacted you. I'm excited to talk to you after you officially write and publish your book, Mean Girls, which I'm sure has a, a awesome fancy title, which I don't know. If we're still right working it out. We're still, yeah. we're still debating which, which catchphrases to use and how to use them. So oh, we're, sure. we're going so fetch right now, but that could change as we, as uh, I like that. I really do. Yeah. But I don't want to like ask too many questions about it because I also know like you're like in like, you're in the work right now. And I'm a big component and a big believer of like, you know, keep your dreams and your desires close to you while you're working on them. And then just like, kind of, you, you're going to show up. So we'll talk about your, your, your research with Lindsay Lohan and Tina Fey and all the things that happen along this road, but we can't talk about it yet because you're in the work. So that's right. That's right. Still manifesting those interviews just started. So yes, putting it out there, yes. <laughs> but it truly, you're going to, you're going to give mean girls and its legacy justice because that's just what you do Jen. That's, that's the plan you are a pop star goddess and um, <laughs> that was a play on one of her books she does have yeah. a book called pop star goddesses but you're a pop star expert goddess so I just uh or pop culture goddess let's call you that yes there you go <laughs> so thank you again for being on the show everyone go check Jen out I'll put all her contact stuff in the show notes and I'll see you all next week when I help you design the life you deserve hi I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years on my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself 
through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.